Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. And we're into extra time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a weekly podcast from RNZ Sport. I'm Matt Chatterton. In the program this week, technology and gender equality and how it impacts the America's Cup. Kieran Reid has an all-black hat-trick in his sights. We look back on Lions tours of the past. Nelson cyclist George Bennett on the ride of his life. And just who's going to be teeing off in the New Zealand Women's Golf Open. On the eve of the start of the 35th America's Cup in Bermuda, Team New Zealand will soon learn how its boldest technology innovation shapes up in a race. The team is the only one to switch from having traditional grinders winding the pumps to having pedal power, and four years ago they pioneered the use of foils on cup catamarans. This country's 30-year cup history has brought a lot of technical innovation and has been closely watched by Ian Taylor, whose Dunedin-based animation research has produced the graphics and digital imagery for every cup since 1992. Ian Taylor says the high-tech design and manufacturing work by the team isn't well understood by the public. If you, if you look at Team New Zealand's challenges all the way through here, the, the America's Cup since they started, plastic fantastic, the big boat, some that didn't work, the hula, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, um, uh, the thing that really saddened me about San Francisco is they never got the credit that they deserved. Those big boats were not meant to foil. They figured out how to make them foil, and unfortunately, six months out, the others figured out that it could be done. Well, and, and, and you know... We never gave them the due. This is a technology. This is all high-tech. And everybody keeps thinking of of, of a sailing boat. You you, you read people in the papers going, oh, what are we doing, these rich sailors? They are up there with Rocket Lab. You know, right now we're celebrating Rocket Lab, and, and deservedly so. But let's not forget what these guys have done here. You know, it's the old Ernest Rutherford, Lord Ernest Rutherford saying, they didn't have the money, so we had to think. So they knew they were up against Airbus, they were up against uh, Red Bull, Formula One racing, they were backing all these teams. What did they do? They thought right outside the square and they made those cycles work. The, 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 the whole common feeling with everybody was, yes, cycles are a really good idea, but it'll never work. Who are the only ones here with cycles? While everybody was doing their flash design, these guys were hiding in a shed in New Zealand for 18 months, figuring out how to make it work. Win or lose, we should be celebrating that as a technological New Zealand, it's in our DNA kind of thinking. And, and I, hope, I hope we do recognise that. And, you know, if there was anything that validated how we stand out as New Zealanders and how this boat is all about technology, and someone mentioned before, you know, they should be technology, you know, technology company of the year for the kind of profile they give us. What was it, you know, two days ago? Cycling wasn't going to work. What do we see? Oracle out there with a bike on the back of the boat. So these guys are leading all the way. So 
you know, I, I've been out there and these boats are fast. Um, but I think what Team New Zealand did was they knew that if they didn't do something special, they would definitely lose. Now, everybody's looking at them. And yesterday they are out there sailing with no jib. Take a look out. There isn't another boat doing that. So if you take away the sporting and the sailing part of the operation and you look at it as a high-tech design and manufacturing operation, where does it sit in terms of New Zealand, other New Zealand companies? Uh, I think this sits right at the top. I mean, I, I was out there, I saw them sailing, you see them all sailing, but I was out there watching them yesterday. And you think about it, these things are doing 90 kilometres an hour on a blade in the water, the steering wheels, all these steering wheels are designed, you know, they're like race car wheels. They're trimming, they're doing this, they're turning the on the fly. Um, there's data points coming off this. This is not a sailboat. This is a technological beast. And, uh, you know, I, I, again, I, that, that's how we should be looking at it. Um, you know, we, everybody talks about the technology. I mean, we look at the 360 VR. This is penny ante stuff compared to what they're doing. You walk over there now as they're setting the boat up, everybody's walking around with iPads, everything's being tuned electronically, there's thousands of bits of data coming off that boat, coming in live, coming onto the shore um, while they're fine, you know, retuning things for Friday. I mean, it's really quite remarkable. So what's the, the legacy or the value to New Zealand of having that sort of knowledge or skill base? Well, you know, I, I think um, I, I think one of the things I've been talking about um, recently is that um, this is an extension of our ancestors. If you think back to the Māori and Pacific Island, Pacific, Pacifica, they travelled a third of the planet in multi-hull boats, tracing the stars, tracking the stars. I mean, it's no surprise that we're out here competing with the, with the best in the world because this is from a nation born of sailors. And, you know, it's one of the things that, uh, for me, it's, it's sad that, you know, perhaps Māori need to be looking at this and, and understanding that this is an extension of what your ancestors did as well. And that's something to be hugely proud of. And, and back, back in those days, those walker that travelled across the third of the planet to get here were total technology, you know, technologically advanced. They used the stars and the currents and, you know, they were scientists, they were innovators. It's in our DNA and I, I just think that that thing sitting over there, look at it, that's a symbol of all of that. It's the two cultures combined. I mean, they call it Aotearoa. You know, um, you've got Maui is one waka, one side of it. Auraki is the other side. The two gods, two Māori gods. And I love them as a symbol of this. Maui, the inquisitor, the inquirer, always questioning. Auraki, the South Island, the cloud piercer reaching for the stars. Look at it. Maui and Auraki over there, always questioning, reaching for the stars. I mean, that's what this resembles. Ian Taylor talking to Todd Nile. As we just heard, the America's Cup is at the forefront of technology. However, it seems to remain in the dark ages when it comes to gender inequality. The industry says the boats are too physical for women and most don't have the experience to sail the falling catamarans. But New Zealand's Olympic gold medalist Joa Lay says there are simply no opportunities for women to get the experience in the first place. Our sports reporter Sally Murphy has more. Joa Lay is one half of New Zealand's most successful sailing duos. She sailed in three Olympics, winning gold in London and a silver in Rio last year. 
But with the hustle and bustle of the Olympics now over, she's left wondering what to do next, while her male counterparts take part in the America's Cup. She says often women are overlooked for the Cup because they are not given the same opportunities. Obviously in the Olympics there is a mixed class, and a lot of the guys from that class have stepped into the America's Cup. You sort of hope that there will be the same pathway for women who drive boats really well or who've proven themselves that they can compete you know, with anyone. Alay says she didn't try to get involved in Team New Zealand this year, something she regrets, but says at the same time most of the men on board would have been hand-picked. I guess it just yeah, it would be nice if there was a way that you know some of the girls would get to that same Olympic level sort of had uh, an opportunity or a, you know just even at the lower levels to start proving themselves and to, to build that because you don't get there without experience, without learning. Leslie Egnott is the only woman ever to helm an America's Cup boat back in 1995 when an all-female crew competed. She says the design of the boats now make it almost impossible for women to compete. You have to be insanely fit to sail these boats. Just incredible amount of fitness and strong. And um, I know that the guys on board, are, they're all trying to, to beef up and put weight on. And so unfortunately for women, if it, um, they just would lack that strength and power to get the boat up on the foils quick enough compared to the men. The other big event in sailing is the Volvo Around the World Ocean Race. This year they've changed the rules to have just seven men on board. They can then opt to add one or two female sailors. Leslie Egnott says there's been talk about a similar rule change in the America's Cup, but it's something she's not sure about. It's great for women to be able to compete on an equal footing against the guys, if, if at all possible. It might just do that and look like, oh, you have to have a token woman on board or something. I just don't know if I like that idea. The sound of it, I, I haven't quite got my head around that one yet, to be honest. Team New Zealand's performance coach and five-time America's Cup winner Murray Jones says more women competing in the Olympic sailing means more will get the experience they need for the next cup. I think there'll be, there'll be women there with the uh, opportunity to have a shot at getting on the boat. There's, there's no reason why not because you know the experience they'll get through the Olympic competition and also there's lots of other foiling boat classes that are popping up everywhere now that are suitable for women as well as guys. But Yachting New Zealand Chief Executive Dave Abercrombie says despite more women being involved with sailing, more opportunities need to be created at the top level. Certainly there aren't as many women sailing at that level as there are men and the strength requirements of the boats are designed at that high end. Maybe there are some design considerations to be taken in the future. I think there's a lot of opportunities that we perhaps haven't explored yet. Abercrombie says two women were close to getting onto New Zealand's Youth America's Cup team this year. He says the culture and attitude towards women in sailing is slowly changing, so we could see a woman on board Team New Zealand next time around. For Extra Time, Sally Murphy. Karen Reid wants to be at the helm of the All Blacks when they pursue a hat-trick of World Cup titles. The 31-year-old Reid announced he's extended his New Zealand rugby contract through to 2019 when Japan will host the World Cup. Sports editor Stephen Hewson reports. Karen Reid announced his contract extension at his former school, Rose Hill College in Papakura, where he was welcomed with a haka. Reid, who succeeded Richie McCaw as captain after the 2015 World Cup triumph, will turn 34 during the next tournament. 
The most capped All Blacks number eight is currently recovering from a broken thumb. And if fit, will raise 100 caps in the third test against the touring British and Irish Lions in July. His contract's likely to be among the most lucrative in New Zealand rugby and likely to include provisions such as a sabbatical to help his longevity, with injury having started to take a toll. Good coin. I'm more than happy with, with what's coming my way, but, you know, it's... I guess the whole package is nice and full of family, um, and I you know, love to be here in New Zealand, which is great. Five, six years ago, you probably you know, would have looked overseas potentially after 15, but I think circumstances now, probably in the last couple of years, uh, being skipper, um, you know, a lot of work to be done with this all-back team and some awesome challenges ahead, so um, you know, I can't wait to be involved in those times over the next couple of years. Reid's also revealed that he'll be switching his provincial allegiance back to County's Monaco, where he played all of his junior rugby. But he'll still play for the Christchurch-based Crusaders in the Super Rugby competition. He recalled heading along to Pukekohe Stadium as a youngster to watch All Blacks Jonah Lomu and Joely Vendiri tear up the opposition, and he's long harboured the desire to wear the Steelers' colours. It's a, a team that's dear to my heart, I guess. It was my dream growing up, was to wear the shirt. I missed out, so um, one day, hopefully. But County's Manico fans shouldn't expect to see too much of Reed in their trademark red, white and black colours, because in his 12 years in Christchurch, he only played 37 games for Canterbury. 20 of the currently contracted All Blacks have already signed up through until the 2019 World Cup. The British and Irish Lions Tour means everything for players, coaches and rugby-mad fans. Just ask the only All Blacks team to have lost a series. Players from the 1971 side reckon they were beaten by one of the greatest teams in history. Since then, the Lions haven't posed New Zealand much of a threat, until now. Max Toll reports. John Williams, the fullback. Oh, he turned well, and he did it. John... JPR Williams' droppy late in the fourth and final 1971 test sealed New Zealand's fate. Future captain Ian Kirkpatrick unfortunately remembers it all too well. In the fourth test at Auckland, when JPR drew the game, but it won the series for them from a drop goal from halfway, and I don't think JPR really kicked it that much. We really weren't that good a team, and so the result was um, what it was. Winger Brian Williams says the public didn't take defeat so matter-of-factly. The expectation of any All Black side is that they win. I mean, we've, we've had that wonderful record over you know over 100 years now, so people expect the All Blacks to win, and when they don't... Um, <laughs> There are often uh, lots of soul-searching and recriminations and all the rest of it. The day before the crucial third test, Brian Lahore's phone rang. We need you, said a voice he immediately recognised as All Blacks coach Bob Duff. The former number eight was basking in retirement on his wild Upper farm, but his old team was ravaged with injuries and in dire need with the series tied one all. Lahore scrawled, gone to Wellington playing test tomorrow on a scrap of paper and stuck it on the fridge for his wife. An hour later, he was on a train bound for the capital, the following night, the All Blacks lost 13-3. They were a good side. They were well coached. Often the Lions before that and, and occasionally after that have kind of not worked together, if you get what I mean. They haven't really gelled as a real unit and I thought that was what made the 71 Lions so good. The average fan wouldn't give the Lions much of a chance heading into next month's matches, but Lahore says this team could surprise. If you ask most New Zealanders, they would say, you know, we expect to do well. The pundits will say we should win, but... Oh, I think they've got 
the players to do very well. In those days, South Africa was our, big, our biggest challenge. Now, I, I would see it the other way around. I, I would see the Lions as being the biggest uh, challenge to New Zealand rugby at the moment. Fullback Laurie Main scored New Zealand's only try in the third 1971 test. He got his chance at redemption, coaching the team to a 2 1 series win in 1993. We went to a decider in Auckland, and I remember walking past the dressing room, a Scottish radio announcer, and hearing him say he couldn't see any possible way back for the All Black. And of course, that went down with me like uh, that's the best motivation you could ever get. And passed on to the players, I'm sure it had a big effect on them as well. We comfortably won. Maine says a Lions tour is the ultimate. The Lions tour is a bit unique. It's not like the Springboks or Australia or England or Wales coming here. It's the combination of, of four pretty strong teams. And, and it is exciting. It's a one and often a one-in-a-career opportunity for players and coaches. The colours even, you know, the red with the white shorts and uh, the green and blue socks, all of those things add to it. Despite the ignominy of having played for the only all-black side to have lost a series to the Lions, Maines, like all of his former teammates, hopes that's still the case in six weeks' time. Nelson cyclist George Bennett made history earlier this week, becoming the first New Zealander to win a World Tour event. In somewhat of a surprise, the 27-year-old took out the Tour of California. Bennett took the lead on the penultimate stage, an individual time trial, and then held on in the final stage to claim his first professional win. Bennett rides with the Dutch Lotto team, and he told Guy Espiner that he felt good going into the seven-stage tour. I mean, it was a dream, but at the same time, like, I was chasing it, you know, like I, 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 w- I wouldn't have told many people that I think I was going to win. I think I only said it to my coach and maybe to my girlfriend and we said, yeah, I think maybe I can actually win it. So the build-up just went perfectly and did a huge sacrifice and them over, over a month up at altitude in, in the mountains and uh, just trained very hard and we had some pretty crazy weather up there and a lot of time in the snow and things like that just to get the altitude adaption. And so I put a lot in and, yeah, I got a lot out of it. It was a lofty goal and also the situation at the race was in. I, I, I had a really good stage on stage two and took some crucial time, but I didn't think I had enough time to, to win the race. And then I just had a time trial that was um, pretty special for me, a, a time trial a lot better than I've been in the past, and, and that was what got me the jersey. And what does it mean for you, George, to win uh, the Tour of California in terms of your career? I mean, how important is this in terms of uh, where you go from here? Yeah, it's it's a very important first step, I think. Like, uh, I mean, not not the first step we've had. <laughs> There's been a hundred steps before this, but it's it's an important step on the way to becoming a like a big rider in the world of cycling. And I'm a long way off, and I'm, I'm under no illusion now that I'm a, I'm suddenly one of the best riders because there's a lot of guys that weren't here as well. The Giro d'Italia is on, and there's you know Premier's stuff building up to the tour and things like that. So. Um, it's a, it's a crucial step and it's good for the confidence and good for like the team and everything like that. But um, the next step is to, to go and prove it in Europe as well and and do one of the, do something at, you know get a get a race win in, in one of the stage races over there. That's going to take a lot more hard work and I think someone said it to me perfectly yesterday. Like success is sort of the the worst enemy of uh, progress and development. So yes, I need to keep my feet on the ground and. Enjoy it, I definitely enjoy it, but um, 
I'm, I'm already making plans. I've got to, I go, I get on a flight in a few hours, and then I jump, get a couple of days with my girlfriend in, in Spain, and then I'm back up to another mountain and spending another month up there with, with a couple of guys just training full gas for Tour de France. So it's yeah, it's, there's no rest for the wicked in cycling. That's how it is. Hey, um, you're originally from Nelson, I think it is, and then um, we've just been talking about Europe. There's been some um, comments you've made picked up here in the, in the media about the different attitudes to to cycling in New Zealand compared to um, compared to Europe. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, it's it's a very 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 different feel. I mean, and I think when it when it's highlighted the most is when Europeans they come out to there's a big race at the start of the year and called Tour Down Under, it's in Australia. And Australia is quite similar to New Zealand with the, with the attitude to the cyclists and things like that. And uh, they say it's such a beautiful place, it's such a great race, but what the hell's wrong with the drivers? Even when I'm riding by myself, people are still pissed off from two weeks ago when they had to wait for 30 seconds. And, and you know, they come and let it out at me. And then uh, for, me, for me, I can deal with it. But when I think about like my family and my friends who also like to ride bikes, I think, you know, that's... that's on. So it's a double-sided coin. We need to, we need to both mm. both parties need to work on it. But I think the drivers here just need to people do crazy stuff and they're angry. And you think like yeah, coming close to cyclists and stuff. But I think people need to need to also think about themselves getting out on the bike and, and put themselves in the shoes of the cyclists. And I mean, everyone's pretty tough and pretty brave when they're in a car surrounded by four meters of steel. But when you're out there in a couple of mils of lycra and someone buzzes past you, thinking they're a hero because they you know I mean if I can get them to pull over then it's what I try and do you know I mean it's and then we can sort of make them realise like hey this is my life life you're playing with it's not the, the question of being tough or whatever it's actually you're, you're really playing with someone's life The New Zealand Women's Golf Open is just four months away, with organisers still hopeful the best will be playing there. The Open has moved from Christchurch to Auckland and will be played at the new Windross Farm Course in Ardmore. The $1.9 million event will be headlined by local world number one Lydia Ko, who will get to compete in an LPGA event in her home city of Auckland for the first time. Organiser Michael Goldstein says they've confirmed 90 LPGA players will be there, but he can't yet confirm if that'll include those at the top of the rankings like Co. We don't know which of the 90 we'll get. We're out there talking to the players and over the next um, couple of months we'll start to announce who some of those are. But effectively we'll go through their money list from this year uh, and effectively the first 90 are eligible and we'll just keep going down that list until uh, we need. Um, look, we're not going to get all of the top 20, but um, I'm confident that we'll have, we're going to have the world's best here. And uh, I guess what's their reaction? Uh, you've obviously spoken to a few of them already. What's their reaction been to the news that um, a New Zealand or a tournament is coming here? I think everybody in sports is pretty intrigued by New Zealand, right? And they're really interested in coming down here and and seeing the country. So we've got a pretty amazing reputation as being a beautiful place, and that's the feedback that we get from the players. They like Whitaker's chocolates. Uh, they've heard a lot about New Zealand from Lydia, and I think a lot of them are really interested in coming down. So. And uh, the 10, obviously, well, cards for the New Zealand golfers. That's quite a great incentive, I guess, for New Zealand, you know, up-and-coming golfers to try and get in this field. Yeah, exactly. You know, having the opportunity for those Kiwis to play in, in a world-class event is, is a fantastic opportunity. Um, and we've given 10 spots to New Zealand golf for them to, to work with us in terms of who those people are. 
but at the end of the day there's going to be some young amateur Kiwi golfers who are competing against the world's best. That's extra time for this week. Hope you enjoyed listening. Your feedback's always welcome, so feel free to flick us a line at sport at radionz.co.nz and we are on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Matt Chatterton. Catch you next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.